Great to see you. You guys ready to roll tonight? You guys ready to do it? The rest of you, uh, not sure what you're doing. I uh, am incredibly uh, excited about this evening. So much to say, so little time to, to say it all in. However, I would like to begin with a conversation about grocery stores. I'm not certain where you grocer, uh, but six months ago or so, my wife and I were in the West County area, and she said she wanted to stop by this establishment called Trader Joe's. Now, I had never, don't cheer yet, I had never been, I had never been there before, and I have to be honest and vulnerable with you, I w- am still a pretty big naysayer of organic food. Uh, it tastes like crackers with, like manna, right, with no salt and stuff. I like salt, any other salt likers here, right? Okay, praise the Lord, we're all headed for heart attacks. Anywho, she said, let's go to Trader Joe's. I was a little bit reluctant, being the great husband I am, I said, okay. So we walk in, I, and I, I notice three things right off the bat, Trader Joe's. First of all, I walk in, I'm like, is there, a, is there a dress code in this place? Because it's like, everyone's like, everyone's looking good, you know what I'm saying? Like, the grocery stores I, I roll in, like, I feel, I feel a little underdressed right now to gro- go grocery shopping, you know? So that was the first thing, I was like, okay, like, I guess it's, I guess it's suit and ties in here, all right, fair enough. Uh, then the second thing I noticed was all of the uh, merchandise or product, if you will, uh, it was all like perfectly put on all, like it was displayed nicely was, is what I'm saying. Have you noticed that? Like the marketing piece, it's all kind of themed, you know, it's come by me, right? And, and then finally, I found myself uh, in one of my favorite aisles in a grocery store, of uh, the potato chip aisle, anyone? All right. Listen, what a travesty. <laughs> These things that they're calling potato chips at Trader Joe's, Right? It's like you pick this little bag up, and it feels like a feather, right? I'm like, my, my chips need some girth on them, right? <laughs> and, and this little bag, it's like, oh, this is nice. These are potato chips. But you're, you're wondering, and again, I don't know organic food. I'm like, yeah, right, like, like organic potatoes? Like, so these are like Brussels sprout chips or something, you know what I'm saying? Like, these are nasty. And then I saw the price. I'm like, this place should not be called Trader Joe's. It should be trade your life away to buy a bag of potato chips, Joe's. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Seriously, like $3 for a bag of chips? I was literally holding this bag, and Heidi looks at me, and she goes, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not okay. I am uncomfortable right now in this grocery store. She's like, take it easy, right? Like we're, these are, she's like, well, why are you uncomfortable? I was like, you know why I'm uncomfortable? Because my jam is Aldi's. That's why I'm uncomfortable. You know? I'm uncomfortable because I feel like I'm cheating on Aldi's by, by, be, by being in Trader Skanks right now. You know what I'm saying? That's what I feel like. And you know, you know, you walk in all these, they're practically giving food away there. Have you seen this? It's like a soup kitchen that costs 10 cents. It's amazing, right? And their product, it's not nicely displayed. You walk in, their product is on a pallet, right? They bring their jive in on a huge pallet, stick it on the floor. They'll say, hey, here's our chips. How you like me now, right? They cost 75 cents, and they're real potatoes, man. You can put some gumption on your bones. You know what I'm saying? And I love the fact they don't apologize. All these doesn't apologize. You know? They're like, yeah, go ahead. Listen, you go to Trader Joe's, and you can buy their organic mac and cheese, right? Where, where like, the milk in the cheese came from some organic cat in New England or something. Like, <laughs> Greg, you can milk a cat, right? Um, or you can go to Aldi's, and you can hook up some mac and cheese. Anyone know what it's called? 
Cheese Club. It sounds way more fun anyway. It's like a dance party of macaroni and cheese. I'm going to the cheese club tonight, you know what I'm saying? We're hooking it up. Mac and cheese all over my face is going to be great, you know? Now, I know there's the naysayers. I know there's the naysayers. I know some of you people are like, you guys, you guys are all these snobs, some of you guys, right? You're like, the food tastes cheap. Yeah, I used to say that too until I was paying for the groceries. And now it all tastes the same, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, listen, Mama Koozie's in Tombstone. I mean, Tombstone's is a little bit better, but save two bucks. I mean, I'll take it, you know. And then some of you guys are still like, yeah, 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 but, but you got to rent your cart at Aldi's. You know what I mean? Like you put the quarter in. And some, this is the greatest game I, I play at Aldi's. I love Aldi's. Uh, is when you time it up just right when someone's walking from their cart. Because that's the worst part, having to walk your cart back to Aldi's, you know. And so you look like a good Samaritan, you know, as you, like, meet someone. Oh, hey, here, have my cart. You know what I'm saying? Really what you're saying is I'm too lazy to take my cart back. Oh, by the way, you owe me a buck for that. Hold, you just put a quarter in there. Don't worry about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love Aldi's. How many of you guys like Trader Joe's, though? I just want to get a... Okay. There, all of you guys. Hey, listen. After all this is over tonight, uh, I'm going to be leading a time of prayer over all of you guys specifically. So if you'd like to join me, uh, I'll have some organic prayer up here for you. Now, you should be wondering at this point where you're going with this. Fair enough. (laughs) The thing that legitimizes all these for me, the thing that makes me feel like it's legit, is that they got nothing to hide. You know what I mean? You walk in there, you're like, what you see is what you get, you know? Our stuff is on pallets. We have like an employee in the whole place, you know. You come in, it's a free-for-all. Everyone just fend for yourself. They got nothing to hide. The thing that I love about the Scripture is if you and I were writing the Bible, which would be a travesty, but if we were, our followers, if we were in the place of God, we would do a great job at protecting their character because they're our followers. They need to look good. They need to have a certain portrayal. They need to have certain character. They need to act as if they're following us, maybe even to perfection. That's not what you see in the Bible. The Bible's got nothing to hide. From the beginning to the end, the Bible is filled with characters who claim to be following God, who are messed up, depraved, and seem like they're on the opposite end. And for me, that legitimizes the Scripture. There are certain logical things about the Bible that make it true outside of faith. And for me, that's one of them. The fact that the Bible is filled with messy characters. Characters that have to expose it all, no matter what it is. Tonight we come to an amazing story where there will be much exposure. Uh, This is an interesting story, two uh, epic stories in the Bible. uh, One of which I would imagine some of you are familiar with because you've seen the VeggieTales. The other one doesn't find its way into VeggieTales and you'll see why. So I want to invite you guys to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We study the Bible here, uh, not all these as uh, uh, some of you may have been thinking. We've been in a journey these heroes of the faith through Hebrews 11, just finished last week, two weeks on Moses. Tonight we'll look at two new characters, all beginning in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 30. Are you guys all there? Say I'm there. I think we need some more time. Still hear some rustling and don't see the LED light illuminating your face yet from your phone, which you're tricking to be the Bible. It's actually a text message app. Anyway, uh, here we go. Hebrews 11, verse 30, and we'll get into it. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute, weren't expecting to hear that tonight, did not perish with those who were disobedient. because She had given a friendly welcome 
to the spies. Two epic stories, much, much work to do. And it all begins here in verse 30 of Hebrews 11. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. If you grew up in the church, this was one of the Sunday school songs you learned, right? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, right? Okay, um, I used to lead sing a band, uh, funny enough, uh, though you wouldn't be able to tell it there. This is not, if you grew up in Sunday school or saw a good felt board, this isn't your mama's Joshua fought the battle of Jericho tonight. We're going to look at it in a whole new way. But first we need to do some work. There's been some time in between when we last left off where Moses leads the people through the sea. The sea's part, they lead the people. The sea encloses on the Egyptians, and all the Egyptians, the Scripture says, are laying on top of the water dead. Well, between then and now is approximately a little less than 40 years. There's been some activities, some things that have happened. The Israelites, though seeing the sea part, you would think that that would do a work in their heart. This God is good. Uh, Much uh, to differ, on the other side of the sea, they instantly begin to be shrouded with doubt, contempt, struggling in their understanding of God. They build a golden calf, no less, and many other things that happen, right? Eventually what happens is Moses sends spies to see if it's okay for the Israelites to go to the promised land, which they've been waiting on since Abraham. Ten of these spies come back with a bad report. Listen, Moses, we shouldn't go. This is a bad idea. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, come back and say, listen, we can do this. Now is the time. Well, to give us an indication of the people's hearts, this is what happens right after that report from the spies. The people say, why is the Lord bringing us into this land? The people, in response, to fall by the sword. Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Are you kidding me? They were just enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt, and they're wanting to go back. And they said to one another, let us choose choose a leader outside of Moses and go back to Egypt. You've just seen the sea part. You've seen a, a pillar of fire. And you're saying, send us back to slavery. This is the condition of the people's hearts. To that, God says, next slide, And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? Don't you love the authenticity of the voice of the Lord? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. That doesn't sound fun. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Listen, let's be honest. If you're Moses at this point, this ain't sounding too bad. They've been going against you as well. And God's offering, listen, I'll take you, make you into a mightier nation. Let's do this. Those of you guys who know the story, you know how Moses responds. He actually leaves here and pleads, intercedes to God on behalf of the people. He says, God, listen, you have to remember the covenant that you made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't kill them all off. And then God says to Moses, interceding, I have pardoned according to your word, Moses, but truly, As I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of these who despise me shall see it. That's somewhat significant because we're talking a million plus people who are going to, God's going to allow to die in the wilderness so they don't see the fruits of God's promise because they have been unfaithful. This is a huge moment in the scripture. 
This is the moment when you pull back and you're like, hold on, God, like, are, are you serious? Is this really what you're doing right now? Like, what, what happens? So all of this unfaithfulness of the people, and then something crazy happens. Next slide. When Joshua was by Jericho, this place that we're talking about tonight, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword. Which, if you're a male in here right now, come on now. You know what I'm saying? We see drawn sword in God's word. Like, this should get a little Braveheart gladiator pumping up in there. You know what I'm saying? No? All right. Well, for the males that are here tonight, all three of us, this, this, this passage is somewhat exciting. Right? Some of you guys are like, oh, what's a sword? I'm not sure. I like, I, like, I like Game Boy controllers. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So Joshua says, hey, listen, man with the drawn sword, that's a little bit scary. Uh, are you with us or are you one of our adversaries? Have you ever asked a person a question that had two options and they covered both options, right? Look, look at his answer here. Uh, no. Hold, hold on. Like it wasn't, oh, there was actually an option there. Right? Like a, are you with us or are you an adversary? And he responds, no. Okay, I have to do a little interpretation here. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now it seems difficult at this point to know that God allows a whole generation of Israelites to die off. And you know what people I hear often start saying? Man, that Old Testament God. Have you ever heard that before? People are always talking, Old Testament, New Testament. Man, that Old Testament God. Let all those Israelites die out there in the wilderness. My friends, that's the mantra for an eternity. Rebellion against God will lead to death. Period. It doesn't matter what, what you're talking about, Old Testament or New Testament. Rebellion against God leads to death. Thank the Lord that He sent His Son Jesus as our commander of the army, took on the wrath of God, my friends, and in so doing, gives us relationship to God. So this uh, picture of Old Testament, no, no, no. If you rebel against God, it's leading to death, period. You're like, man, that's a hard truth. It's the Bible. That's what we preach here, all right? Now, no, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Finally, after 40 years in the wilderness, it's go time, Joshua. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, I love this, uh, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Could you imagine all the waiting and all of a sudden you're seeing the commander of the Lord's army and I would have to imagine that looked a little bit different than a typical human. And he says, I'm the commander, it's go time now. So verse 30 said again, just to give us perspective now that we're caught up, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. We need to understand Jericho. Uh, cue the map. This is where Jericho is. I've helped you out for the, um, the reading impaired there. The, the Jericho is encircled, or ensquared rather, by a red box. Just to the south of that is Jerusalem. Jericho is a fortified city. Its outer wall is six foot in depth. Its inner wall is 12 foot. It's a massive fortified city. kind of sits up on a mount. It's a huge city. It's backed by the Jordan. On the other side of it is Jerusalem. Jesus, in, in his last stop before Jerusalem and he dies, stops in Jericho. It was a natural pathway. So now all of a sudden, 
all of these Israelites, how many there are in number, are up to this fortified city. Multiple walls on a mount, somewhat intimidating. So what does God tell them to do? This should get interesting. Next slide. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. They had heard the things of the Lord. We'll get to that later. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. Listen, if I'm uh, Joshua at this point, I'm a little bit confused. I'm standing outside of a massively fortified city and God said, I've given Jericho into your hands. No, no, you haven't, actually. Um, I'm here on the outside. We got big wall A in front of me. Like, you have not given them into my hands. Oh, no problem, Joshua. I've got it all figured out. With its king and mighty men of valor, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Excuse me? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, you're going to just march around the city. Uh, Okay, Uh, the Lord's not done. He then says this. Next slide. Uh, Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of rams. Horns before the ark, and on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Real quick side note, commercial break, just so you understand. I'm not, um, I'm not comparing myself to a priest, but I will say this. As a pastor, it's not a prerequisite to have to play a trumpet. I just want to make sure you guys understand. I actually didn't play the trumpet. I was a trombone player in band. Any other trombone players? <laughs> Praise God, right? Praise God. Yeah. All right. Back. Commercial over. So march around the city on the seventh day, blow your trumpets, verse 5. And when they made a a long blast with a ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. I have to imagine Joshua at this point is like, okay, so just so I understand correctly, um, our plan of attack here is we're going to walk around the city, Uh, Once a day for six days, then on the seventh day, we're going to add some trumpets in the mix, and then the walls are come tumbling down. God, is that the plan? Yeah, that's the plan. If I was sitting down with Colin Powell, is that his name, Jason Scott? Colin Powell, is that his name? Mr. Powell, let's call him in case his name's not Colin. Is that his name, the big guy, the guy who's master of defense for America, used to be something? Anyway, if I was sitting down with him, and I was like, I was like, listen, uh, Mr. Powell, I appreciate you meeting with me. This is so awesome. I've got this idea with our adversaries. So let's say America has a foe. Why don't we just grab our soldiers, have them march around the city a few times, blow some trumpets, and it'll be all good. Like it happened in the scripture. It's cl- like this is good. Y- you will not be able to find, agree, one war strategist that would say that's brilliant. <laughs> like that's a, hold on, say that again? Slower though. What, how did you do that? No, you would not find one war strategist. Who would say that's a great plan. And that is precisely the point at this moment. God brings all of these Israelites to a place where he's calling them to do something impossible and even crazy and maybe even ludicrous. So that God can ask all of these people one question. And that question is, will you rely on me? Yeah, so I I want you to march around the city, and then you're going to watch all of these walls fall down. He brings them to this point with a question that's beating on their heart is, will we trust, will we rely in the face of impossibility? Next slide. This is where they find themselves. This is where you find yourself over and over and over. You're on the possible Maybe even feeling like you're in control. 
And then all of a sudden you come to your wall. It's defined as impossibility. It seems like the craziest thing you've ever been called to do by God. And then God adds some insanely crazy instructions that make no sense, have no reason to them. And you find yourself, next slide, in this very precise moment, being asked, in this moment, will you rely on yourself or will you rely on the one who was calling you to do the impossible? You're there over and over and over every single day. Who will you rely on? Who will you trust? Who will you have faith in? Who will you rely on? Now, uh, many of us at that moment, this is what we do. We turn, run, in fear, tail between our legs. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. This seems impossible. God, are you sure you're calling me to this? How many of you guys have asked that question about 300 million times? Are you sure? God, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? When God's like, what, what more do you need? What do you mean? Am, am I sure? Listen, anytime God speaks in his word, he is sure. And I know many of you guys are like, but, but how do I hear God's voice? And I tell you guys all the time, this is God's voice and it is sure. He will never speak against his word. Can we agree? So if you're looking for some assuredness, why don't you start here? Okay? And all you'll get all day long from the word of God is assuredness. So I know many of you guys, you run, tail between your legs, in fear, retreating. I actually, though, don't feel like that's the biggest Christian issue. I feel like it's this. Next slide. Fun with arrows time. Um, I feel like most Christians, when called by God to do the impossible, instead of turning and running in fear because they know that will completely lack faith, they convince themselves that this is faith. I'm going to stay on the side of possibility and I'm going to teeter right there by where God's calling me. And maybe if I stay close enough where I can still control the situation, maybe then that's still faith. And many of you tonight have convinced yourself that that is faith in God. You're saying a bunch of nice pleasantries. God this, God that. Singing some nice songs with God in it. But the question that the Israelites were having to ask is the same question that you have to ask. Is will you rely on Him as God? He's called God for a reason. Now, um, I often think about what would happen if I uh, left my children alone in the house for 24 hours. I think of crazy things sometimes. Five-year-old girl, two-year-old boy, one-year-old boy. Okay, So I try to picture in my mind if Heidi and I, in our negligence, just said, listen, kids, uh, t- mommy and daddy need some time away. Uh, 24 hours, we're locking the house from the outside. You guys fend for yourself, see what happens, okay? I think sometimes what that would look like, okay? But my first question is, who's changing the diapers? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I just picture my sons running around. I mean, it's just, you know, we just, it's, it's everywhere. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, we come home and they're just, think about mealtime, right? I mean, my, my kids love them some uh, McDonald's uh, chicken nuggets and sweet and sour sauce. Any other chicken nugget fans? I'll tell you right, tell you right now, that ain't organic. You know what I'm saying? A straight, real, legit chicken up in there, you know, <laughs> plus some other hormones and stuff. But anyway, <laughs> right? like what would happen with my kids? I would imagine at some point my son Dawson, who is God's retribution on me, um, I, w- I would imagine at some point he, like, he, he'll, he would jump off something extremely high, bust his face open. My five-year-old's like trying to patch him up, you know. It would be crazy. 
Like when, I, when we came home, you have to agree, I, we would be looking for survivors. You know what I mean? Like, has anyone survived this, you know? Like, what are they going to do at nap time? Like, where do they even sleep? How do they watch the show? You know, all those things. There's a reason why I'm their parent. There's a reason why I'm their parent. Like, right now in their life, that will change. They're wholeheartedly reliant on me to provide, and my wife, to feed them, to clothe them, to bathe them often, right? <laughs> to give them a life, to provide for them, to make sure their house is warm. They need a parent. Listen, there's a reason why God is called God, uppercase, not lower. There's a reason why you have convinced yourself that he's your God. I mean, you call him that. And in your mind, you call him that with an uppercase. But my friends, if he is your God, then you understand what that comes with. If you sing about him being your God, then what that means is he's your God. Which means that you have nowhere else to go for reliance but him. Yet many of you are finding yourselves in the position of control, in the driver's seat. God, I know you've called me to the impossible, to do crazy things, but I'm just going to stay over here on the right side of the road where everything is nice and safe, and I'm going to call it faith. That is not faith. It's faith in yourself, it's trust in your own ability, and it's a denial that God will accomplish the work that he said he would do in you. Are you with me? And yet so many of you, oh yeah, I'm, I'm part of the faithful. When all your life has been spent on the possible. And I'm telling you right now, that is incredibly boring. Incredibly boring. The gospel is an adventure. Following Christ is the most fun I've ever had in my entire life. Suffering and joy. Why? Because it's on the side of the impossible. Daily, I get to watch God, like you, do things under crazy circumstances with crazy directions and find myself right here, crossed the impossible. And once you do this, listen, something, something unbelievable happens. Once you watch God do the impossible, then there is no more impossibility. Then you start really believing God's word that says with him all things are possible. So now pretty soon your entire perspective of who God is changes. There's no more walls and lines you come to and you're no longer surprised when he says walk around the town and I'm going to bring it down. You're like, oh, fair enough, right on. I saw you do that yesterday. Because that's what he does. Right? If the Israelites had come to this place of reliance on themselves, you know what they would have done? They would have gotten to the wall of Jericho and they would have said, uh, God, thanks and all. This is nice. Appreciate it. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to SWAT Team 6, SEAL Team. Who's the team that uh, killed Osama bin Laden? SEAL Team Siete? Seis? Okay. SEAL Team 6. Okay. They killed Osama bin Laden. If you guys, did you guys hear that? And they just did another mission yesterday, actually. These guys are hardcore. Anyway, they would be like, hey, God, thanks. We're here now at the walls. Now we're just going to scale the walls. We're going to Navy SEAL Team Scout 6 it. And, and we're going to, like, take down everybody. Because you've got us here, but now it's time. And God's like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. My plan is you march and you watch me work. And then all the glory's mine. Right? So this is nice and all, but what happens in the story? Great question. Next slide. So the people shouted uh, as God told them to do. And the trumpets were blown. It had to be loud. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. Um, listen. Imagine you being a Jericho 
it at this point, okay? There's probably been some ridicule as you're watching these, what you would consider uh, idiots, march around the city, right? But at the same time, there is, this, there is this fear because you've been hearing, as we'll see in a second, what God's done. So this had to be a crazy moment of anticipation. All right, we're doing what God tell, told us to do, and look what the scripture says. The wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city Every man straight before him, and they captured the city. And this is where things get really tough for many of us. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. And uh, this is when uh, people who don't teach the Bible really struggle. Because they're having to explain why God would allow this. The killing of man, woman, and child. Uh, it's called disobedience. What does uh, verse 30 say? Disobedience. Jericho disobeyed. They rebelled against God. And that leads to death all the time. The walls come tumbling down. Could you imagine for a, so- for a second being one of those soldiers who had, who had been marching? Right? Like in- Inwardly, you're thinking, okay, this is somewhat strange. Then God also told them, or Joshua told them not to say a word. Okay? Don't speak a word. Which, and I don't mean, I, females, that would be tough for you guys, wouldn't it? Like, I'm really sorry about that. Guys, this, guys, this would be really tough for us, guys. Wouldn't it be not to say any, anything? You're like, no, I haven't said anything in five days. Oh, this is, text, I, I just text all my talks, you know? Right? God says, don't say a word. Why? Because we could turn it to be our glory in a heartbeat. Picture it, dudes, especially. You're starting to walk around this city. Man, look at our march. This is looking pretty good right here. You know what I'm saying? This march is straight pimping right here. I shouldn't have said pimping. I'm sorry. And, and now I've just said it twice. So this is. Look, our march is great. Like, our, we're, we're killing it right now. I'm sure God is going to bring these walls down because our march is so good. Humans can turn it on a dime to focus on us, right? So Joshua says, don't say a word. March around the city. Why? So God will get the glory. And the walls come tumbling down. Now we come to epic story number two, which interweaves in all of this. Next slide. By faith, Rahab the prostitute. Uh... I know many of you weren't expecting to hear that word tonight. Uh, I, we did some Hebrew research on the word prostitute. Jared Corzon, our discipleship director, is in seminary. He's taking some Hebrew classes. So I asked him, uh, Jared, a brilliant guy, what does a prostitute mean in the Hebrew? Because I, I just want to make sure I get it accurate. And so he came back, and we were all sitting down, a really serious moment. What does prostitute mean in the Hebrew? And he said, prostitute. Yeah, it means prostitute. It means this woman, Rahab, sells her body for sex. Again, like if you're writing your Bible, good chance a prostitute isn't showing up. But in the Bible, she doesn't just show up. Matthew chapter 1, check this. Matthew chapter 1. And Salmon, uh, it's not a fish in this case, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of, uh, of Abed by Ruth, and Abed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. This in Matthew 1 is the genealogy of Jesus. And my friends, do you see what I see in there? 
Rahab the prostitute in the genealogy of Jesus. And not just that, my friends, but the great-great-grandmother, do the math later, of King David. Rahab the prostitute, the woman who sells her body for sex, is in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 and the great-great-grandmother of David. Try and find another religion anywhere in the world that brings out this in the people who follow God, my friends. Try to find one, please. Right? Not going to find it. It's not going to happen. So now that we have a good grasp of who the prostitute is, she has some kind of history, and not just that, but makes a name for herself somehow. Verse 30 says this. Back to it real quick. Actually, go back to verse 31 just so I can build the context again. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, let me uh, share the story with you. So, she's a prostitute. She's living in a house at Jericho. Joshua sends two spies to check out Jericho to give him a good idea of how it is they're going to attack and besiege the city. It's before the condemnation comes or the com- uh, common, uh, the, what's the right word? The, uh, the plans come from God to march around it, right? And so these spies, uh, they, they get into the city. And first of all, they're absolutely horrible spies. Uh, the scripture says that within the first day, the king already knows they're there, all right? These guys didn't go to James Bond's spy school. I mean, these guys are idiots, you know what I mean? Like spies, part of the thing of spying is like no one knows who you are. They come in, they're staying at the prostitute's house, which at first glance for you and I would seem a little bit sketchy, right? You're like, you're staying where? At the prostitute's house? I'm not sure that that's a great idea, right? But, but it was a decent strategy, A lot of men are in and out, so it's a good hiding place. Also, there's a lot of information because all kinds of different people there, as you can imagine. So the king uh, finally sends word to Rahab. king's like, hey, I know you're hiding some spies here. What's going on? And Rahab lies, says, oh, yeah, those men were there, but they're long gone. In fact, they left a while ago. You better hurry up. They're already outside the city gate. While all the while, these two men, these two spies, were hiding in the flax, which is the linen drying on the roof of her house. And then, in that moment, she goes up to them and says this. Check this out. Unbelievable. Before the men lay down on the flax on the roof, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Excuse me? And that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shahan and Og, who were devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, speaking of the Jerichoites here. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God... He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. One second. Have you ever had a friend that you thought, no way they're ever going to amount to anything? I mean, they just, they seem like their life is headed to absolute disaster. Complete destruction. I mean, they seem worthless. Uh, I'll take this a step further. Why is it that the most graced are the most judgmental? Why is it that we as Christians, though we've experienced the most amount of grace, become the most judgmental, having the audacity to look at others around us and thinking that they'll, they'll never amount to anything? And here in this moment, we see a prostitute 
who is in the lowliest one of the lowliest jobs you can possibly be in. And what is she doing? She's not just helping spies out. Because that would have been a good gesture. Agree? That would have been good works. But God wouldn't have looked on that with any eyes of grace or mercy. It would have been, oh, that's a good, that's a good Samaritan act. Wait, way to help my spies. But when she says, your God, He is God above the heavens, then her faith and her works collide. That's why James 2 says, also speaks of Rahab, faith without works is dead. Faith will evidence itself in works. And so in this moment, we see the heart of a prostitute, some of the same people that you have judged in your heart. Way less than a prostitute. And yet God shows in His mercy and grace how He can do the impossible in the heart of men and women. Unbelievable. Next slide. Then she says, listen, uh, this has been great and all, but I would ask one thing. Please swear to me by the Lord that as I've dealt kindly with you, you also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother by brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Some of you at this point who are wise would say, that just seems like a great strategy. The spies from, Jeru- you know, the, spies from the Israelites say God a couple times, hey, listen, I know, this, I know the city's going down, like remember me, right? That would seem like just a great strategy. Problem is, uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11 verse uh, 31 said what? By faith. This is a genuine expression of faith in Rahab. Save my family. Save me. And the men said to her, our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell the business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Next slide. For Rahab, her wall is her own life. Everything that seems impossible. No way God could ever be merciful on a prostitute. Her wall that she's looking at is all the doubt, all the shame, all the regret. And she says, I don't care what anyone says. He's my God. And the impossible that many of you guys are experiencing in the same way. Because some of you guys, you'd be like, well... I'm not a prostitute. Yeah, um, yeah the, the thing is, your heart's completely depraved and set apart from God. So whatever title you want to put on that, whatever title you want to put on rebellion of God, take your pick. It's rebellion. It's going against God. And so maybe you, in all of your shame and regret, need to stop listening to the doubt and the lies and finally believe that what was accomplished on the cross is completely enough for you too. Instead of just the dude up there who's preaching. Oh, that guy, man, he's, he's sure fired up. Yeah, you know why I'm fired up? Because Christ reached in and saved my life. Many people ask me all the time, like, why are you so intense all the time? Like, you're a little, like, rabbit up there, you know what I'm saying? Why? Because every time I preach, it's life and death. I know full-heartedly there's people in here that have no clue who God is. And I'm so glad you're here. But you know what? I'm not going to patsy around the gospel. It's life and death every single moment of my day. This could be the last sermon I preach, and I'm not going out soft. You see what I'm saying? And so then sometimes we're like, oh, well, fair enough. Well, yeah, well, it's time that we all join in that. There's no reason why any of us should lack in that passion or zeal. This is the moment she comes to. Now, I need to show you something. 
This piece of this story has absolutely ripped my heart wide open. Please see this. The walls fall down. They shout, Jericho is decimated. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. What? Jericho had just been decimated. And what does Joshua tell these two spies? Go get the prostitute of all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who are dying in there and getting ready to be slain by the sword. Joshua says, go get the prostitute. And just when you thought your story isn't in the Old Testament, I beg to differ. You lie in the ruin and the rubble of your life not worthy of being saved, not deserving of any kind of life. And because of faith in God, guess what happens? So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. Imagine that moment. She remembers what the spies had said. She feels the walls tumble. Her house was a part of the wall. And then in come the spies. To rescue her. Could you imagine the moment in her heart that she's experiencing as she experiences freedom, my friends? Relate to that at all? Life in rubble and ruins. Misery. Regret. Addiction. Shame. And all of a sudden, out of the pit of the despair, God pulls you out and saves you. If you think this isn't your story, if you don't think you're the prostitute, my friends, this has our story and the gospel written all over it. Then, look at this. One of my favorite parts. So they bring out all the relatives outside the camp of Israel, verse 24, and they burn the city with fire and everything in it. That means everything in it. Everyone's dead except Rahab and her family. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Next slide. Look at how this ends. But Rahab the prostitute, I love the butts in the Bible. I know that sounds weird at first, hang with me. There are so many times in the scripture where it all seems impossible, all seems impossible, but God all of a sudden swoops in and saves the day. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belong to her, Joshua saved alive. And please see how this ends. And she has lived in Israel to this day, Because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Listen, she's adopted in as a Jew. And you, through Christ, have been adopted in as a son and daughter of God. Pulled out of the pit of rubble that is your life. And all of a sudden saved. I was sharing at the marriage retreat. A lot of vulnerability. actually shared five areas of uh, how I need to grow as a husband. The last area that I shared that I struggle with with my wife is celebrating the victories of God. I do a phenomenal job doing that with other dudes. My staff guys, the elders, God does a work. I come in, we party, celebrate what God's done, and then I go home, leave my wife out of the picture when she's the person I should be celebrating with the most so my children can see mommy and daddy worshiping God together around what God's doing. And as I was preparing for this text, you know what I kept thinking about? I kept thinking about the reality that 
This is something on a daily basis in front of my children I need to be celebrating. Hey kids, listen to this story. In the pit of rubble, completely dead and desolate, and all of a sudden God did a work. So kids, let's party. You see what I'm saying? I didn't grow up in that house, did you? I didn't grow up in the house where every single day I was being reminded by my parents of the work that he had done in their life. So I told Heidi, I'm like, listen, it's time to start celebrating up in here, right, with all these food. That's what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Leave that Trader Joe's. Next slide. You're all right there. Some piece of your life. God has brought you there. It's even become clear to you, though, you lack consistency in prayer and His Word. It's been gracious. Whatever the wall is in front of you, it's glaring you in the eyes. It's causing that tingling feeling in your stomach. I'm not sure, God. I don't know. I'm pretty scared right now. And that's the point. The very wall that he's brought you to, he's brought you to for a reason. So that he could add all the caveats and all the craziness and all the impossibility. And so that the God of this universe could look at you and say, will you rely on me? I haven't put you here without purpose. I've got a plan. But you have to trust me. If you want to try to scale the walls, you will die. If you trust in me and you march around the city, I know it seems ludicrous, but the wall will come tumbling down. My contention tonight is there's some walls that need to be coming down. Some reliance of God that needs to start happening. And I know if you're like me, the question is, Mark, listen, all that sounds nice, but how do I rely on God? Hope you don't mind if I share this. I was thinking a lot about that. I was thinking a lot about uh, the wrath that's poured out from God on the people of Jericho. And I was thinking a lot about how I should be there too. Experiencing the full wrath of God for my sin. That's where I should be. I should die for my sin. I should pay penalties every single day for my sin. My heart is so depraved and decrepit, I should be completely disconnected from God. The wrath of God, literally the fury of God against sin, I should be bearing. But I'm not. Because Christ took it on Himself. Took the fullness of the wrath of God on Himself. And people ask me all the time, how do I go all in? How do I finally rely on God and not myself? You think of the wrath. That's what you think of. You think of the wrath of God that you deserve and yet by God's love and mercy had put it on His Son Jesus. And all of that wrath completely sufficient so that you'd never have to experience it. And then let's talk about reliance. But my contention is some of you are sitting on this side of the cross, still believing the cross and the wrath talk and the blood and the sacrifice is still some myth or fairy tale and not really your life. But, you when, but when you believe that what you've come from is the pit and the ruin and destruction and turmoil, 
and the person that pulls you out of that makes it clear to you it's out of love, how could you not be reliant to that? So is the question that you struggle with reliance or is the question you really don't believe the cross is real? Let's stand together. Every night in my house, have the same routine. Something started happening in the last two weeks. We uh, all party downstairs, have some worship music on, enjoying the night, grab a snack, put Maddox in bed, my youngest, and I take Avery and Dawson up. We all lay in Avery's bed together and we spend some time praying and in the last couple of weeks, Dawson, as we're walking upstairs and talking, he's been saying consistently, I scared, I scared. Like he's just, he like, he's getting scared now. He's like realizing what the dark is and he's getting scared. And so as we're uh, there in Avery's room and I, I read a Bible story and we talk about God's word and then I pray over my kids. And then uh, I take Dawson into his room. It's been happening the last two weeks every single night. And he says, Daddy, I'm scared. And literally every single night, he takes his two arms and he wraps them around my neck. And he says, Daddy, will you pray for me? Think about the desperate cries of a young son. Who all he has in front of him is a daddy who cares about him and loves him deeply. And so he really believes in that moment. He has nowhere else to go. He's scared and he needs help. So where is he going? He's going to daddy. Daddy, I know you pray. Will you pray for me? Because I'm scared right now. The reliance of God. It's not resting in yourself or turning to yourself for comfort. A reliance of God is saying, God, here I am. I've got nowhere else to go. Will you help me trust that you're going to cross the impossible for your glory's sake. Some of you tonight literally just need to reach out and grab the love of God that's waiting. Father, I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters in this room. For the addictions, the struggle, the turmoil, the chaos, the ways, God, that they're completely relying on themselves. I pray right now for empowerment, for an awakening. I pray in thanksgiving, God, that you bore the wrath. Thank you, Father, for not putting the wrath on us. And I pray, God, that we would be bearers of that freedom, of that love. And in doing so, God, I pray tonight that you will empower us to surrender.